0: Hi everyone, welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by the one and only Wes Hodkiewicz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field, and Wes, the subject on everybody's mind now, a couple of days removed from the great comeback over the Bears, is what is the status of Aaron Rodgers? And in this segment, we'll call the Aaron Rodgers update. It's actually the Aaron Rodgers (laughs) non-update, because Mike McCarthy on Monday didn't have all the injury information, they're still trying to figure out exactly what uh, the situation is with Rodgers and that knee. So it's going to be a wait and see type of thing all week long, the way it sounds.
1: Yeah, and we'll we'll get a better feel for how Rodgers is feeling, I'm guessing, on Wednesday. Uh, that's typically been the day during the regular season in which he addresses the media, uh, and we'll see what his participation is going to be like. Uh, Mike McCarthy mentioned, you know, Deshaun Kaiser probably regardless of what, however Sunday unfolds, it'll probably take a lot of work this week, mm-hmm. take a lot of reps. Maybe some of that trickles down to Tim Boyle as well. We'll see. But that being said, I, it seems to me, Mike, everybody obviously wants to rush to conclusions. They want to know everything now, the minute uh, that they want to know it. The one thing I would caution people to do, because I saw some people taking what McCarthy had said on Monday and you know, saying, oh, this is a red flag. If you know anything about Mike McCarthy and the way he handles this thing, he's not giving an injury report on Monday. So regardless of how this week plays out or whether or not Rodgers plays on Sunday, it's not going to be based upon the information that Mike McCarthy has on Monday, the day after the game. It's going to be after seeing where this whole week takes them. Certainly Rodgers made his voice known after the game he fully intends to play against Minnesota, but there certainly is a bigger picture in play as well. I think the biggest positive you can draw from this is the fact that he did finish that game and he was able to run back out on the field. Uh, That at least I would hope you would think would alleviate some of the long-term concerns, but certainly it's about making sure that Aaron Rodgers is healthy for a full 15 weeks uh, the rest of the season. Yeah,
0: and I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but this is kind of looking to me like one of those weeks where the quarterback may not practice at all, or if he practices, it could be very little, and then uh, the Packers will just decide as uh, things get close to game time whether or not he goes. There was an incident, uh, a, a similar incidence, I meant to say, Back in two thousand eight, his first year as a right. starter, he had a shoulder injury. Packers had the Atlanta Falcons coming here to Lambeau Field. Rodgers really didn't practice right. during the week, and they took him down to the Hudson Center on Sunday morning, before uh, they needed to make the final decision as to whether he would be in- active or inactive for the game. They had him throw some passes, and they're like, "All right, you know, good to go." Now the Packers ended up not winning that game. It was a close game, whatever it was ten years ago, but uh, but even back then. Aaron Rodgers went out and gave his team a chance to win when he didn't even practice.
1: Right. And if you correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, was he doubtful for that game? I'm trying to remember might what have his designation yeah. I, th- I feel like his designation might have even been doubtful because I think that's one of only like two instances uh, over the last, you know, 10, 12 years where that's actually happened, where yeah. guys played after that designation. Be that as it may, uh, yeah, Rodgers is going to do whatever he can to be out there. Certainly, we know this. It's well documented. He's the most competitive player in that locker room, if not the planet. Uh, so he's going to want to be there. He's going to want to rally the troops like he did in the second half. But again, there is a big, bigger picture in play, and when they go through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even into that final practice on Saturday and the, the things the Packers do to get ready for game time, those are all factors they're going to have to take into account before they get to you know Sunday afternoon.
0: Yeah, well, before we get to uh, some other topics, I want to take care of a little sponsor business here. Enter the Cousin Sub's Best Seats in the House promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16th. By completing the entry form and submitting for complete rules and eligibility, go to Packers.com slash subs, We believe in better. Okay, a couple of things left over somewhat from the discussion of Sunday night's big victory by the Packers. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, of Clay Matthews roughing the passer call on the initial fourth down when uh, the Bears were trailing there by a point late in the game. He's taken responsibility for it. He knows he shouldn't have done it. Um, Mike McCarthy said, hey, we have to be smarter there. Everybody knows it it was a bad play. The larger concern from my standpoint is that the Packers had three roughing the passer penalties in this game. Now, I thought the one on Matthews, even though Clay said after the game, he thought, well, maybe in past years, that's a warning. They're flagging it this year. I thought his, quite frankly, was pretty obvious. The ones that were called on Wilkerson and Perry earlier in the game, especially the one on Wilkerson to me, I thought was really, really questionable. I, I, I'm i telling you, Wes, that you know, we talked a lot about the helmet rule and all this other kind of stuff and the flags that were flying in the preseason. If those types of plays like Wilkerson had, if those are going to be called roughing the passer all season long in the NFL, boy, these pass rushers, they they better be on their toes you really have to watch out because those 15 yard penalties are costly
1: they are and it is it's it's a tough situation to be in because as we've talked about we even mentioned you know on yesterday's show the percentages of you know how a drive and the, the likelihood of scoring increases exponentially if you end up having a or giving up a personal foul on a play.
0: It's like an explosive play. It it's is. it's fifteen yards, it's an automatic first down. It's 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 a big time shift. So this is where I've
1: obviously you know taken some caution going into the season because you just aren't quite sure exactly how sensitive we're gonna get about quarterbacks and, and being able to protect them. Certainly, as I've talked about ad nauseum at the end of last season, you know, I always felt the Anthony Barr hit. Those are things you want to take out just because there's no reason for a quarterback to get hit like that. There's no reason to drive them to the turf. But unfortunately, the, as I've said from all along, it's either black or white, it seems like a lot with these, these rules. There's never room for interpretation, there's never gray area. So I don't understand why it's so difficult. Trying to take something that's just as blatant as like the Devonte Adams hit last year from Danny Trevathan, mm-hmm. and trying to eliminate that without grouping a bunch of other penalties into that. Now,
0: that's a really good point, Wes. That, yeah, that that is, and I and I think what's I think what's going on here, at least what what I what I think should be going on, but what seems to be going on in terms of carrying a little too far. Is I think the standard in some ways that the officials are using with all these calls is was the contact avoidable? Right. Because yeah, could Muhammad Wilkerson have avoided hitting the quarterback there? Yeah, he could have, but he didn't hit him very hard, right. you know. And I thought same thing with Perry to a certain extent. But again, if that's if that's the standard standard you're using, you know, I a lot of people are asking, well, why wasn't the putting the body weight on the quarterback flagged when Rodgers got hurt? I think the, I think the collision, everything that happened on that play was was you know so awkward to an extent that the officials didn't think it was avoidable. Right. So I can understand that being the standard, but I totally get what you're saying as well that it's it's grouping in a lot of other calls that just because it was avoidable, well, does it really need to be a 15 yard penalty?
1: Yeah, and here's here's the other issue I have with it, Mike and, and, and I understand what the league's trying to do. You don't want anyone to get hurt in terms of quarterback play if it's unnecessary. But my biggest the reason I always bring up the bar thing, and it's certainly because I don't have as much examples to look at the entire NFL. There were some of them I know uh, in these last week and across the NFL. It wasn't just in this Green Bay game. But I still think there's a difference between you know, driving your body on a sack and doing it to a quarterback once the ball has left his hand. And yep. and I get that technically it's the quarterback's in a precarious situation, but one seems over exaggerated to me than another one that could just be a football play and a guy playing to the whistle because as we know mike from you know right now the last 10 years the window for a, a defensive player to hit a quarterback <laughs> it's getting smaller and smaller you can't go too low you can't go too high you can
0: barely fit a shoulder pad through it <laughs>
1: exactly i mean you basically just have yeah. the the yep. abdomen area to go after so you know just as well as i do if you're going after the meat of a human being because of that being basically their core and their center of gravity, you're putting in a little more force than you would if you're trying to get them at the legs or, or going higher on them. So it's a, it's a really tough pickle the league's going to be, be in this year because it looks like we're not going to get any answers until afterwards. I guess if you're Mike Pettin, you know Jerry Montgomery, and these defensive coaches, you just got to teach the right technique and yeah. keep your fingers crossed the refs. You know, don't throw the flag.
0: I feel for defenders a little bit in these situations because how silly is a defender going to look if he's bearing down on the quarterback and that quarterback pump fakes, like Aaron Rodgers has done mm-hmm. many times, like a lot of quarterbacks do, that quarterback pump fakes. And so the guy pulls up thinking, well, if he's getting rid of the ball, I'm going to get flagged. But then it's a pump fake and he tucks the ball and runs and takes off. And then you missed the sack and didn't even get any contact on him at all. That That's the position that defensive players are in because they don't know if the quarterback right. is going to throw the ball or not and um, when to me anyway at least when contact after the throw I thought the Matthews one should have been flagged but if the contact after the throw is not egregious I think you just I think you just have to say okay he wasn't trying to hurt him he wasn't trying to do anything yeah there was some contact but let's just play on.
1: yeah it's tough because it is it's it's sort of that where you draw the line there And, and certainly he didn't drive through his back or anything when he saw the ball go out but at the same time If you're in that position, the ball's gone. you just got to try to let up. The analogy I keep using when I talk to some of my friends and also some other reporters about this is not necessarily the Matthews one, but some of these other, you know, uh, issues that guys are running into. To me, it's almost like you're driving on the highway and you don't know where the stop sign is going to get put up (laughs) and trying to get that automobile to stop because dude, this game is played at a thousand miles per hour. These guys, some guys on a given week, they're playing for their jobs. They're playing for their careers. They're playing for a role in the defense. They're going to play hard. So it's just trying and, to and figure out... And sacks
0: equal dollars in those contracts. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: that's the challenge. And, uh, you know, the NFL is going to have a huge sample size after this year to go off of, and we'll see what they
0: determine. Yeah. Well, anytime you have a big comeback victory like the Packers had, there are unsung heroes along the way. And we got a little bit of a hint at who one of those unsung heroes might have been for the Packers on Sunday night, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And that's the young safety, Kentrell Bryce. Mike McCarthy, without necessarily being prompted, per se, Said that Bryce was one of the defensive players who graded out the highest when the coaches graded the film. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, they basically score every play on different things technique, assignment, you know, execution, result, all those kinds of things. And Kentrell Bryce graded out awfully high. A very good sign for the Packers here because you didn't really know necessarily going into the season, him coming off of the injury from the year before, Josh Jones being a young guy, still trying to find his way, what the Packers were going to do at that spot. Um, Bryce turned in a pretty good ball game.
1: Here's what I love about Kentrell Bryce too. He has, if if you ever had a chance to deal with him or talk with him, he has a really cool personality. Yeah. In terms of like, you can tell why he probably fit in at like Louisiana Tech or some of these schools that aren't like big FBS schools. Yeah, Because he just is sort of this, I'd like to do my job and then I'd like to leave. And it's not that he doesn't want to do interviews, but what was interesting is he was aware of what McCarthy said at the podium and, and saying he was a top graded defensive player. And there was this horde of media that were talking to Deshaun Kaiser in the locker room. And Bryce goes to his locker, changes, and tries to sneak through the back door, and myself and Jason Wildey end up stopping him. As much as he appreciated the praise, the way that he's wired, he would have been just fine going about his day, and I'll see you on Wednesday, and we'll start for week two. Uh, But that's not the world we live in, and, and he understands that. I think... You know, there is a lot of emotion evolved in this, though, for him. He did injure his ankle last year. He did see his season end. And then he suffered another injury in training camp that he got carted off for and luckily for him was able to avoid a significant, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, a, I don't want to call it a, a relapse or an aggravation, but whatever the case may be, yeah. a scare. And not only was he able to go out there and start, play every single defensive snap, all 70 of them, If you watch the game, Kentrell Bryce played pretty well. I mentioned that on Unscripted on Monday, even before McCarthy talked about this. Yeah, you did. He just was really consistent, Mike. And he's such a big hitter, and that's the reason why I think a lot of people he's gotten on their radars. But Kentrell Bryce knows, as we just talked about in this last segment, that can't be your game anymore. You Mm -hmm. have to evolve. You can be aggressive. You can be assertive. But you have to play within your discipline and your technique. I thought he did a terrific job of that in this game. And if he keeps putting performances together like that, where he's in that center field position, allowing ah, Clinton Dix to roam a little more, Clinton Dix said it. This group could be special. And Kentrell Bryce is a big part of that.
0: Yeah. Well, the thing that stood out to me when he came on the scene as an undrafted rookie, aside from obviously the big hits when he was getting in the games, but his speed was very, very impressive. Now, it's only been one game. It's only been one game so far this season. But if that ankle injury and the subsequent surgery and everything he had to go through last year to get back this year, if that hasn't compromised his speed at all, we'll see, because he's going to be tested by some other guys in this league, aside from just the Bears. But if that speed of his hasn't been compromised at all because of what he went through injury-wise, that's a heck of a good sign for remember, him and the, and this Packers defense. I
1: remember talking to Xavier Woods, who was his basically his running mate at Louisiana Tech at the NFL Combine in 2017, and I had him by myself and, and we we're and I was ta- asking him about Bryce, and you know he almost talked with this sort of the smile. Uh, the entire time, because you know Bryce really he'd been sort of a situational guy, played on special teams, one of five guys to make the rosters, an undrafted rookie, but people really didn't know much about him. Right. And Woods sort of had this mentality, and I don't remember all the quotes he gave me on the topic, but he just said, you know, they don't people really don't understand how good this guy can be in terms of just you know he's more than just a hitter. There's more to his game, and it was one of the reasons why those two were so successful together. And now Woods is having success, I believe, in Dallas uh, in the NFL. Bryce has all the intangibles you look for. Sure, he wasn't a top-of-the-radar prospect, but he was, right from the get-go, pretty much seen as one of the gems of that undrafted free agent class, yep. and, and certainly him being able to step into those huge shoes of Morgan Burnett at safety next to Ha Clinton Dix, and the fact that, kind of like Geronimo Allison a little bit, going into Jordan Allison's number three spot there, he didn't really leave much doubt throughout the offseason program. He showed that he's a guy that he's not just a dime coverage you know, uh, safety like he was last year. He's a guy that could play all three downs.
0: Yeah, and it was great to see him come back so quickly from that training camp injury, which at the time, you're looking at it going, oh, boy, it's going to be another injury, you know, significant injury for Kentrell Bryce. Turned out not to be. I'll be honest with you, Mike. Obviously, David
1: Bakhtiari got carted off, too, during family night and turned out to be fine with the ankle. In my seven years, I don't remember too many instances where a player's been carted off the field and he ends up being able to come back in about a week. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it isn't surgical. Sometimes it isn't season-ending. But very rarely is it something where it's like, okay, he's back out at the practice field the yeah, next Ken- day.
0: Kenny Clark last year maybe was one example. He only missed that was, was like, the one, one game. Yeah, or two that games. might have been the and, all-timer because yeah. that looked
1: like yeah. that looked Josh Boyd bad like. <laughs> significant injury end of the year into the offseason, and Clark ended up being fine. Fortunately, the Packers keep counting their lucky stars there.
0: All right, let's hope. Um, Quickly before we go, um, just an update on where things stand in the NFC North. Monday Night Football, the Detroit Lions take one on the chin in Matt Patricia's head coaching debut. They start the game with a pick six. Sam Darnold's first NFL pass goes the wrong direction. But after that, the young rookie from... The New York Jets dominated that football game in a lot of ways, and the Jets win big. So the Lions and Bears both 0 and 1, the Packers and Vikings both 1 and 0. In Week Two, Packers Vikings at Lambeau Field, it's the uh, the early shot at the driver's seat, I guess you say.
1: It was, I mean, and that was really something to see Stafford struggle the way he did against the Jets defense. It was four interceptions, 47.9 yeah. passer rating in that contest, but this. <laughs> Let's be honest, Mike, uh, regardless of Khalil Mack, I think everybody has sort of you know, earmarked the Packers and Vikings as far as the, the creme de la creme in this division, at least going into the season. And, and again, I said in inbox last week, I never view any week one game as like a season-defining game. Yes. I still don't no, because so don't much either. can happen. But the Packers do have a lot of momentum going into this again. We have to see how Aaron Rodgers does, but how he is with his prognosis, but that's a huge leap, uh, being able to come back emotionally. We know it's a game of swings. Things can turn at any single moment. Uh, that That is going to be a huge contest at Lambeau Field. Even though the Bears' Sunday Night Football 100 season was a big game, This is one that does have implications down the line because it's very rare that you get two division games at home to start the season. I'm sure the Packers will be ready for it.
0: Yeah, there's only going to be one team in the NFC North 2-0 after two weeks, and it's the winner at Lambeau Field on Sunday afternoon. So with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team all week long on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hodd. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.